Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on stories that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukra, and this week guest guest co-hosted by Sharifa Williams. We're recording this week recording this week's episode on Thursday, August 30th. Hello, Sharifa, and welcome to the For Real podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk about nonfiction with you. Yes. So tell us a little bit about you. Uh, we're full-time for Book Riot. So tell us a little bit about what that is like and what you do. Yeah, um, I'm an associate editor right now, and I actually just got past my first year as full-time staff, which is very exciting. I know. Amanda and I were talking about it like the other day. Amanda, who's our executive editor, and I sort of, it passed by me without my notice. Because <laughs> it gets so busy, yeah. Um, but it's it's been really exciting. Like all sorts of things came with the job, including you know just being on a, a team of really cool people, and of course, as always, getting to work with a bunch of really great contributors. Reading more than I ever have yeah. in my life. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, what are it's excellent. The, what are some of the things you do at Book Right that people might see and think, "Oh, Sharifa does that." Um, Instagram is probably the thing I am, I, well, I am captain of that ship. Mm -hmm. Uh, so just about every Instagram photo you see on our account is either scheduled by me or taken by me or wrangled by me. Um, so that is kind of my, my pet in the game. And then... Yeah, I love doing the Instagram thing. Bookstagram is such a great and friendly and wonderful Mm -hmm. community. So it was a great fit for me. Um, And then I also just do other stuff like uh, I schedule the content and I moderate social media and schedule social media. um, And I do the Today in Books newsletter, not every day, but most Mm -hmm. days. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it is. And you also, you are a regular host of our science fiction podcast. Is that right? Yes, I am. Uh, I co-host SFF Yeah with Jen Northington. We nerd out every time we're on that show and we talk about science fiction and fantasy news and then also give recommendations based on a theme. And then for insiders, um, that's our subscription service through Book Riot. I do the Read Harder podcast as well with Josh Corman. So insiders, insider members get to listen to that one. And we just give recommendations for each task of the Read Harder challenge, which is in itself challenging. So every year Mm -hmm. I kind of have to take on the Read Harder challenge. Um, Yeah. So that I can figure out some books to talk about because I do not always have something in the back pocket for each of those tasks. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I always try to do it. And I get to like 16 or 18 usually. And then it becomes just like so hard. And I sometimes yeah. I get closer and I almost finish, but I've never actually done all 24. So I'm impressed it's by that. For sure. Yeah, it's but that's, that's great. 18 is still really great. I feel like everybody who even tries that challenge is yeah. should be proud of themselves for trying to like get beyond their boundaries in terms of their yeah. reading. Definitely. Well, yeah. awesome. Well, I'm so glad that you are here this week and, and co-hosting with uh, we come to Four Wheel and talk about nonfiction, which also is a thing we get to be super nerdy about. Yes. Um, yeah, cool. So before we get into everything, I'm going to run through our first sponsor. Uh, Four Wheel this week is sponsored by Unapologetic, Unapologetic by Charlene Crothers. Um, This is a book by Beacon Press, and the full title is Unapologetic, a Black, Queer, and Feminist Mandate for Radical Movements. And Unapologetic is a manifesto from one of America's most influential activists that disrupts political, economic, and social norms by reimagining the Black radical tradition. In the book, Carruthers, who is the founding national director of the Black Youth Project 100, 
offers her vision for how social justice movements can become more effective and provides a clear framework for activists committed to building transformative power uh, and also encouraging young people to see themselves as visionaries and leaders. Uh, it's available everywhere books are sold in hardcover, ebook, and an audiobook. So thank you to Unapologetic for sponsoring us this week. Uh, and every week we start off the, the podcast with new books, um, which are books that are recently out or coming out very soon um, that we are either excited about or have had the chance to read or just... Uh, caught our eyes and think we might be cool. Um, and so, Shreesha, I'm going I'm to let you go first because you have a book that I'm also super excited about, so I'm really Yay. glad you mentioned it. Okay, awesome. Uh, yeah, my pick is To Obama with Love, Joy, Anger, and Hope by Jean Marie Laskus. And I chose this because I was up really late at night, as I usually am, and sometimes I, like, try to avoid the news and things, like, especially really late at night when I've had a lot of coffee mm-hmm. and I'm trying to go to sleep. Um, but I ended up reading an excerpt of this book from The Guardian. And yeah, I read that. It's great. Oh, good. Yeah, it was so good. And I didn't realize until the end that it was an excerpt from a book that was coming out. Um, and so, of course, I read this excerpt and I had all sorts of feelings and I was like I'm so glad this book is being written because I mm-hmm. feel like I have to go run out and get it I can't believe I didn't hear about it before so basically what it is is it collects a selection of the letters Americans sent to Obama during his presidency and Jean Marie Laskus interviews Obama and the letter writers so in this interview it was mentioned that she couldn't talk about these letters or publish them without the permission of the letter writers. So mm-hmm. of course these are coming from all sorts of people. Like these letters yeah. are not just like, Oh, you're doing such a great job, Obama. <laughs> Congratulations to you. Like it's people who have their, their gripes and they're telling him about, you know, just their, their lives and the things that are going on in their lives and their children's lives and about their health care and their insurance and venting their frustrations about the government and the things, the policies that have been put in place that directly affect them. And like credit to Obama, he read 10 of them, 10 of these letters that were selected each night before going to bed. And they weren't always the nice ones either. And some of them he would save and set aside, you know, just for his personal um, records, just to have them. And then he responded to some of them, which is amazing. Like, I can't imagine what it must feel Mm -hmm. like to get a letter from Obama, even if it's sort of like a three sentence thing. Like, that is incredible. Um, And yeah, so she, we, we get to hear from Obama about, the experience of writing these letters, uh, writing back to these letter writers and reading these letters. And then we could hear from the letter writers themselves and the White House, the White House staff who also knew about this. Um, and sometimes these letters would be, or I think always these letters were sent around the room sort of so people, um, staffers could read them and take a look at them themselves as well. So it's kind of incredible. Like I've been really getting on board the Obama administration memoir and essay collection train. And I, mm-hmm. I recently read, I don't know if you, did you read uh, who thought this was a good idea by Alyssa, Alyssa Mastromonaco? No, I haven't gotten to that one yet. It, it was really good. I highly recommend that. And that was what got me on board. And I've been hearing about so many other great similar books, like from humorous stuff to thoughtful um, pieces mm-hmm. and books to Juicy Looks Back. And this one's different, but it gives me those same feels. So I'm really excited. Yeah, I really – the. There's a book that came out, I think, in maybe like 2011 or 2013 called Ten Letters by Eli Saslow, which is kind of the same idea. He 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 took 10 letters and he went and found the people who wrote them and then did profiles of those people and talked a little bit about it. Um, so and that cool. book I remember reading and it was just so warm and charming and thoughtful and yeah. And so when I saw this one, I just thought, gosh, if it can give me like half of the feelings that 10 letters did, like I'm in for sure. But, <laughs> I have yeah. to read that one then too. I'm I ready loved for it. all the letter writing books. 
Yeah, it's so interesting. It's such a cool practice that somebody would who like has really important things to do, but that makes it a priority to hear some of this selection of voices of people who agree and disagree and are affected by the work that they're doing, I think is a really the nice thing to to know about a person, feels like. Absolutely. And again, that by the way, sorry, that was to Obama with Love, Joy, Anger, and Hope by Jean Marie Laskus. Forgot to repeat that. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. Um, so my first pick is a book that I actually just got to start reading the galley at lunch today. And I um I want to just like, go back and read it right away because it's so good. And it's called The Class by Heather Wantisario. Uh, and this is a book about a life-changing science teacher, his kids, and uh, his very inventive classroom. So um, this teacher, his name uh, – um, I don't remember what his name is now. Gosh. But anyway, he's a science teacher in a pretty wealthy area in Connecticut. And he leaves his job as a corporate scientist to become a teacher. And the class he runs is essentially like a student research lab. So he has 10 or 50 students. They all apply to be part of his class and he teaches three sections of it. Um, and they come in and they get to just pick a science project and try and do it. And then they're charged or their assignment is to present it on the um, the competitive science fair circuit, uh, which I was so delighted to learn that that was a thing because I didn't know that. Um but yeah, so these kids come in and they propose these really elaborate, interesting projects, and then they spend the year executing them. Um, and he has uh, this teacher has an ex a crazy record of kids being successful in this very competitive environment, and them getting prizes, and them taking first place in things, um, and being really just great. Um, and so I started reading it at lunch today, and it's just really, it's really delightful. Um, <laughs> I was a, I was a nerd in high school, but I, w- I wasn't a science nerd. Um, so Same. reading people who are good at science, like I am always, just like stupendously amazed by that because that's just not where my, my smarts, uh, I do not go in that direction. Um, so it's really fun, and like she's a really lovely writer, and her she's kind of writing about these kids in a very kind of like warm, but also honest way. Um, you know, pointing out like (laughs) there's one where like he really just needs a kick in the pants and his problem is he's lazy. And so she writes about like how the teacher works with that and like what he's doing with all these kids and how he kind of works and inspires with them or inspires them in different ways. Um, and I just think it's going to be really, really fun to spend a bunch of time with a bunch of like fun, high achieving nerd kids doing science. Um, so the book is called The Class by Heather Juan Tesario. That sounds amazing. I'm totally with you. I was not like a science person, even though no. for whatever reason, I thought I was going to go into college with a biology degree and it didn't happen. Oh, God. But like one of my worst, my most embarrassing memories is of like deciding to participate in a science fair and forgetting <laughs> about it and then realizing it like the night before and bringing it oh, no. basically a empty soda bottle with gray spray paint and calling it a submarine. <laughs> <laughs> These kids do not do that. That oh, is not a thing. It's still, I, to this day, I'm horrified by my own <laughs> horrible lack of judgment. Um, okay. So. <laughs> Go kids. Um, my next book <laughs> is I Should Have Honor, a memoir of hope and pride in Pakistan by Khalida Brohi. And this book just sounds really incredible. Um, so this is about this comes from Brohi, who's an activist. She's from Pakistan, and she's a voice for women in her country, particularly uh women living in rural Pakistan. And so when she was really young, she, you know, she came up with these really traditional values, um, particularly from her mom. She might have been forced to marry a 13-year-old boy when she was just a kid, but because her father really believed in an education, he supported her in getting an education. And so she had, Kalita had a lot of like, aspirations. She had a lot of drive. She thought she, you know, she wanted to become a doctor and really help her community. But then this really horrible and tragic event happened. So trigger warning for violence. Um, And her cousin was, was killed over something she really should not have been like, it was an honor killing. 
um, which is something I didn't know much about at all. So yeah, Yeah. this is not an easy read by any means, but there's also, it sounds like there's a lot of hope in this book as well, because Kalita Brohi, because of this situation, started this Facebook campaign that ended up going viral. Um, She created a foundation that focused on empowering the lives of women in rural communities. She helped provide education and employment opportunities, which these women didn't have access to, and basically put her life and energy into this cause. And she's really young, and it's amazing. Like, I'm always amazed by how much Mm -hmm. people do from a young age and how inspired they are to really help their community and how much energy they have for this. And it's just one of those books that, you know, I'm sure it's going to make anybody want to get up off their seat and go do something and make the world a better place. She's so inspirational and so incredible. Uh, This book already has a ton of attention, well-deserved from Sheryl Sandberg and Malala Yousafzai. Um, and it's just, I'm, I'm just amazed by her and I'm really glad that the story is coming out. I feel like we're getting a lot of, of different stories from voices we don't hear from a lot. And, um, I, I can't wait to pick it up. I haven't actually read it myself yet, but I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah, again, that was, I should have honor a memoir of hope and pride in Pakistan by Khalida Brohi. Yeah, that sounds really good. Uh, I feel like I've seen that on a couple of like big books to look for this fall list. Um, cause it sounds, yeah, I yeah. think if you saw the cover, you would totally recognize it because it's been going yeah. around. Cool. Good pick. Um, so my next pick is called Bureau of Spies by Stephen, Stephen T. Zudi. Was Dean, uh, and it is a book looking at the connections between the secret connections between espionage and journalism in Washington D.C. Um, this one got my attention because I used to be a journalist. I used to work uh, in community newspapers, um, so anything like books about journalists, I'm always like curious about. Um, and then just the idea of like spying and stuff is so in the news and everything now that I was curious. Um, so this book looks specifically at agents, both through the United States and for foreign uh, governments that were operating in secret out of, uh, Washington's national press building, which is a building down near the Capitol that is the home to many, you know, journalistic organizations and journalists, but apparently in historically there have also been spies working out of that building secretly for different groups. Um, so according to the book jacket, there are, have been Nazi Germany, spies for Nazi Germany, spies for Imperial Japan, the Soviet Union and the CIA that all kind of use journalism as a cover to try and do, uh, Nazi or spyish things in the United States and other places. Um, yeah. And so um, one of the things that also seems interesting about the book is that it shows how a lot of the stuff we're talking about now, like WikiLeaks and hacking and influencing elections, are all things that have been happening in the past as well. Um, they're just happening in different ways now. And so it gets at some of that ways of spycraft that is working. Um, and it shows how worlds of journalism and intelligence can sometimes overlap. Um, and then, of course, uh, highlights some of the ethical questions that can come from those kind of relationships. Um, and I only got to read just a little bit of the first part of it, but he does make a really um, point very early and repeats it that uh, most journalists, the vast majority of journalists are not actually spies. And so this book isn't about trying to suggest that journalists are spies and that they should be distrusted, oh but simply like how journalism and espionage do sometimes um, connect with one another, especially in this particular place and the time that he's covering. So um, I just think it sounds interesting, and I'm, I'm curious to learn kind of more about that given some of my other interests. So uh, the book is Bureau of Spies by C- Stephen Wisdean. That sounds fascinating. Sounds like something that should be like a, a show on HBO or something. It's so yeah. thrilling. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, my next pick might only be interesting to me, but I had to choose. <laughs> Those are the best kinds. Those are my favorite. I know. And this one, I was like, I, this, I'm excited about. So my last pick is The Provocative Colette by Annie Go- Goatsinger. Uh, Getsinger. Probably saying that wrong. Sorry. 
Um, and I saw a preview of some of the pages and I just immediately decided I need it. And this is a biography of the life of Colette, who is the prolific writer of the late 19th and early 20th century. I did not realize how long she was around. Um, she was around into the 50s. So she wrote the book that inspired one of my all-time favorite movies, Gigi, which is a musical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that movie so much. Um, and you also might have heard her name because there's a movie starring Kira Knightley coming out about her with Kira Knightley playing the role of Colette. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was... I was kind of surprised when I heard about that because I didn't think people really knew who Colette was. Um, no, I don't think days. so. Yeah. So this is kind of, this is a timely release, obviously, with the movie coming out in September and this book coming out September 4th. Um, and the interesting thing about this book is that it's a comic biography. And I've read plenty of comic memoirs, but never a biography. So that kind of piqued my interest. And I was wondering if maybe I have difficulty with biographies sometimes because I feel like the voice is too removed. Like what I love about memoirs is that I feel like I'm really getting to know somebody on an intimate level. And Mm -hmm. that part of it can be removed for me with biographies where somebody else is writing about it, you know, the lives of other people. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's a disconnect uh, for mm-hmm. me. But I was wondering if maybe reading it in a comic format would be better. Like if I would keep my interest because of the visual element. Like I really enjoy the visual element of graphic memoirs as well. Um, and I just love the story of Colette. She didn't do what was expected of her as a woman of a certain era. People thought she was really scandalous, and I love stories <laughs> about scandalous yeah. women from back when. Uh, those are some of my favorites. And, you know, I I don't, maybe this isn't shade, but I almost feel like I'd m- be more inclined to read this comic than to see the movie. Because I don't know, sometimes these movies, I don't know what it is. It's just maybe not for me. But I'm even more curious because it's noted that this book is for mature readers. And I know she did have a bit of a scan, but I've never seen that really. Like, yeah. (laughs) And I'm wondering if it might be as simple as this is a comic. So they're worried that, you know, kids are going to pick it up and they're Mm going to read about her, you know, having affairs or whatever. But uh, I mean, that seems pretty tame nowadays. So I'm yeah. <laughs> interested in finding out what that means exactly. But yeah, it looks fascinating. Um, and if you do want to get a little bit, if you if you watch the movie and you want to get a little bit more about her life or see how it compares to like the biography and then the movies to see how they compare, you can definitely pick up The, provo- the Provocative Colette by Annie Gutzinger. That sounds really fun. Yeah, I uh, yeah. I haven't seen a lot of comic biographies before, so that's really interesting too. I know, right? Um, yeah, interesting pick. Um, so my final pick for new books, since we're in September, we're doing three each because there's tons and tons of new books coming out now. Uh, is called "Not Quite Not White" by Sharmila Sen, uh, and this is a book. Um, Sen, in 1982, when she was 12 years old, emigrated to from India to the United States. Um, and at that time, she started to be asked to self-report her race on forms and doctor's visits and her middle school, um, school paperwork and all of this other places. And she... Um, as a child, didn't really like that feeling of being not quite white, but not quite black and not quite Asian. Um, And so she, uh, as a teenager, really focuses on trying to become blending into the idea of American whiteness and going all in on like sort of white American teenager stuff. Um, And then eventually realizes that that isn't what she wants to be doing and starts to start asking some questions about what does it mean to be white? Why? Why does whiteness give you this like sense of invisibility while other colors become very visible to other people? And then how much does being white figure into just like the idea of being American in general? Um, And so it's a book that kind of is a memoir and it's a manifesto talking about race in America and sharing her experiences and all of that. Um, And I I haven't gotten to read this one. They didn't have any electronic galleys available. So I just 
flagged it and thought it sounded really interesting. Um, and just like another exploration of race and um, gender, I think a little bit too in the United States coming from just another person's perspective. Um, so I just think it sounds really interesting and I wanted to flag it as something people might get excited about. So um, the book is called Not Quite Not White by Sharmila Sen. I'm definitely putting that one on my TBR because it sounds really good and relatable. Um, okay, so should I go into my, the sponsor? Yeah, Our no. next sponsor is Elizabeth Warren, Her Fight, Her Work, Her Life. This is by Antonia Felix. Elizabeth Warren's rise as one of America's most powerful women is a stirring lesson in persistence. From her fierce support of the middle class to her unapologetic response to political bullies, Warren is known as a passionate yet plain-speaking champion of equity and fairness. In the wake of one fellow senator's effort to silence her in 2016, three words became a rallying cry across the country. We all know this. Let's say it together. Nevertheless, she persisted. persisted. (laughs) I say we persisted, but she persisted. Yes, it's so good. Um, And in this breakthrough biography, best-selling author Antonia Felix reveals how Warren brought her expertise to Washington to become an icon of progressive politics in a deeply divided nation and weaves together never-before-told stories from those who have journeyed with Warren from Oklahoma to the halls of power. This book sounds amazing and inspiring, um, and I definitely need to pick up a copy for myself. So again, that was Elizabeth Warren, Her Fight, Her Work, Her Life by Antonia Felix. Excellent. That does sound really good. Elizabeth Warren is such an interesting person. He just, yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. So after that, we'll shift into our second segment, which is our weekly theme where we pick a topic and then recommend some nonfiction connected to that topic in some way. Um, So since this uh, podcast is going to be coming out on September 4th, which is the day after Labor Day, uh, we thought we would talk about uh, books connected to Labor Day and stories of work. Um, So Labor Day is traditionally a holiday uh, celebrated in the beginning of September that honors the American labor movement. Um, but there's not a ton of really interesting nonfiction, particularly about the labor movement. And that's not an area that I read a lot about anyway. Um, so we decided to broaden it out just a bit and do more uh, stories about work and jobs and people who have interesting work and jobs uh, in, their, in their nonfiction. So um, Sharifa is going to go first with a really good, uh, I think, starter for this. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I went all around with these, um, but the first one that really popped to mind was Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. And I love this book. I love food writing and I love all things food. Actually, before I started at Book Riot, I was writing for Food Riot, which used to exist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I was really into food and food writing. And I've been kind of following Anthony Bourdain since he became kind of a celebrity. Um, And I've always just really appreciated his work and his voice. And I'm honestly still reeling from his death. I like totally Mm. miss him every day. Uh, I finally watched the last episodes of Parts Unknown on Netflix. Oh, gosh. Yes. I had to like, I had to have a drink and a moment and then get into it. Yeah. But this was my first Bourdain book. And I'm pretty sure that the copy I own was stolen from my mom's bookshelf. (laughs) I've had it for a while. Um, (laughs) I think Bourdain would approve thieved copies of his book. I think so, yeah. Yeah. I never read anything about life in the kitchen as a cook. And it's funny because my dad's a chef. He's been working in the kitchen since he was 16 until he retired like last year. And yeah, and I spent a lot of summers in the kitchen, sleeping on a cot in the pantry and, you know, (laughs) evenings after school doing my homework in the kitchen, like at his jobs, but I'd never seen that world as a cool place. Um, Maybe because my dad was in it, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, you know, he didn't work in restaurants, which is where Bourdain spent most of his chefdom. Uh, But he also talks about coming up in the world of the kitchen. So he started from the bottom. He talks about catering and working your way up. So it feels very in theme with like Labor Day. And a lot of people in the kitchens start from the bottom and work their way up. And this is kind of access to jobs where for people who have some difficulty getting employment. um, And 
Bourdain really gets into that and he talks about just basically the business of getting food to paying customers, but in his way, like with humor and with grit and with open um, honesty and rawness and brazenness, of course. Uh, (laughs) But when I read this book, I was like, this guy is so cool. And I'd been watching his first series of Cook's Tour, so it just solidified my view of him. And when the book came out, there weren't a lot of others like it. I think now Mm -hmm. you see them all the time. Uh, Food writing is very popular now. One of my other favorite food writers is Jonathan Gold, who just recently passed as well. And these people are experts. And the way that they talk about food goes beyond just eating. It talks about, you know, Bourdain was one of the first to really talk about cultures and being really open about different cultures foods and you know in my life especially in certain times like the 80s and early 90s like there was some squickiness about that stuff but Mm -hmm. he was just always so open to trying things and to learning things about people and I think that this book is a really good introduction into his works now he has a few books out but I will still probably always say to start here just to know how he came up in the world and to get some, to shine some light on the background, um, his backstory. And I was really enthralled by the underbelly of the kitchen world, which he goes into and by the dynamic between kitchen staff and managers, uh, the insane hours and the places chefs and wait staff go after the last diner leaves and the antics. Like it's definitely I, I don't necessarily want that life because it sounds stressful <laughs> beyond belief, but I it, it kind of feels like a really cool club, like a secret cool club, just being among this team of people who have spent all day sweating together in the kitchen, working together, sometimes yelling at each other, but then they would all come together at the end of the night and go have a drink and go eat something you know, that wasn't fancy, but really spoke to their souls. Like, I just loved everything about this book. And I picked it up to talk about it for this podcast and did one of those things where you're flipping through and then suddenly you're halfway through the book again. (laughs) So it stands the test of time. And I definitely recommend all of his books, but definitely read this one if you're starting somewhere. And again, that was Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. That's such a good one. Yeah. And I think you're right that when it came out, there wasn't a lot of food writing to compare it to. And now it's one of those sort of like classic texts in food writing and narrative nonfiction. And yeah. All of other food memoirs that come after it are like somehow inspired by him and the way that he shared and approached. Yeah. I think that's a great, great suggestion for a pick. Um, Thank you. I love it. So my first story of work is maybe a little darker than that one. I'm not sure. Um, It's called (laughs) Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory by Caitlin Doty. Um, And this is a memoir by a young woman who, Caitlin, in her early 20s, um, she's a medieval history major who's super fascinated with death. And then she gets a job working at a family-owned mortuary in California. Um, and she has no experience working in mortuaries or anything like that, but she, uh, gets charged with operating the crematorium and she finds that she has a real enthusiasm for that work. Um, not necessarily like running the crematorium, (laughs) but in, um, learning how people deal with death and learning how to talk about death with people and how, how the whole, like, death industry in our country works and in ways that are really like doesn't work in people's best interest at all. Um, so the book is kind of a memoir of her story becoming, um, a funeral director, I think is what her title is now. Um, uh, so she's licensed to do that officially. She doesn't work at the family crematorium anymore. Um, but she also has these really interesting historical facts about death and how our ideas about it have changed over time. Um, the book has lots of 90s pop culture references, yes. which I really liked. Um, there's She talks about puppy surprise at one point, which I, I remember oh flagging that in the review I wrote of this because I thought that was so funny. Um and yeah, so she just has this really dark and funny sense of humor um, and really um, – but she, she doesn't rely just on that. Um, she really is very honest and very straightforward about what happens 
um, in a crematorium, like what happens when a body arrives, how they work with it, how they get it ready, and then what happens afterwards. Um, and she's very, it's kind of disgusting, but she's just like very straightforward and factual about it, which I think is good. Um, and then she also makes this larger argument that um, we need to change our relationship with how we think about death and the way that we keep dead people and, and death and dying. And um, we need to be less, I'm talking with my hands because I'm trying to describe it. Uh, <laughs> we have to uh, be less sanitary about it. We need to understand what actually happens to our bodies after we die and um, what has happened as we have shifted kind of care of the dead from families into this professional realm where we get to really sanitize it and not think about it anymore. Um, so it's just a really interesting book about an industry that I don't know any, I didn't know anything about, but that I was really fascinated to learn about because it does, we all at some point will have someone die and we'll need to think more about what that actually means. Um, and it's funny and it, kind of is cringeworthy in parts and it's just really very interesting um so I, I very much recommend it she's a great writer um the book is smoke gets in your eyes and other lessons from the crematory by caitlin doty i love her i read her other book from here to eternity oh yeah yeah and it sounds like it kind of expands on that idea of you know not being so sterile about yeah. death because she actually goes around to different cultures. Like, she has an amazing job. She traveled around to interview people about their funeral practices and about mm -hmm. how they treat the dead. And it was just so fascinating. So interesting how different people do different things and what is considered taboo in some cultures and what is not. Um, she's amazing. I love her too. Yeah. Um, and okay. So my next pick is kind of a weird one in terms of work, but <laughs> it makes sense to me. And it's, this is just my face by Cabaret City Bay. Um, and this is Cabaret City Bay of precious fame. She's an actress. Her work is acting, but she didn't just, you know, she wasn't born and suddenly was an actress. She <laughs> had to do other things as well. Uh, and this is about City Bay's work to rise up and become a celebrity and how she happened into that work from a really, and she came from a really unexpected place. She did not come from a place of privilege. And she talks about also the work she did along the way. And one of my favorite, one of my favorite sections of this book, and I think it's also scattered throughout the rest of it, but there's definitely like a section about this is her work. She talks about her work as a phone sex operator. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I, I was completely fascinated and like the, the humdrum office <laughs> life like the aspects of it, it was so like there was some mundane parts where I was like mm -hmm. well you know everybody's got different jobs and sometimes you know it's file cabinets and sitting around and maybe you're also a phone sex operator in the office <laughs> so <laughs> those are definitely some of my favorite parts and in terms of the acting as well she talks about the difficulties and expectations that are involved with being in the limelight, especially in regards to body image and looks and race. And she talks about dealing with depression as well. There were so many expectations and some of it was like, it was, it was hard to hear. Like, you know, it's out there, you know, people mm -hmm. criticize and they judge. And because you're a, cel a celebrity, people sort of forget that you're a person and you have feelings, but she's just so smart. And she has this, she has this sharp wit where I'm like, you know what, if people, people can say what they want to say, but this woman knows that she's an intelligent, capable, amazing, beautiful person. And I love that about her. Um, and she also set straight some assumptions about what celebrity looks like behind the scenes and what the career of acting looks like specifically. Like you don't mm -hmm. act in one film and suddenly you live in a big mansion in Beverly Hills. <laughs> like, I mean, all of us would be celebrities if that was the case. That's absolutely not true. Um, <laughs> but, you know, her life after Precious didn't look like that. And 
I mean, can you imagine struggling to pay the bills and feed your family and also show up every day to film? Like there, yeah. there are, there are aspects of just getting like transportation and things like that, that come into play with trying to look like a reliable person who's going to be there for this amazing opportunity. Um, that when you don't come from a place of privilege, even that can be hard, like grasping those opportunities when they come up, it's really difficult. And she really goes into depth about what it's like to rise up from poverty into success through her work. And she also talks about other aspects of her life, of course, her family and her relationship with her father. Um, and just everything about her life was so fascinating. I read a lot of celebrity memoirs and with some of them, I'm like, oh, I love this person still. I love their acting and the work they do. And I can tell they have some interesting stories, but you know, sometimes the writing's not there for me, or if they're trying to be funny, the humor just doesn't do it for me. But with this book, it was just, it was everything. It was the full package because she's just smart as a tack. She's so funny. And she's also a total book nerd, which I will forever love about her. So, and I definitely, if you do want to read this book, I definitely recommend the audiobook. She reads it herself. She's a fantastic narrator. I can't imagine reading it any other way because she just brings so much, she, she brings so much humor and heart into her own story and to hear it from her own mouth is just a special event. So again, that was This Is Just My Face by Gabourey Sidibe. Excellent. I'm glad you mentioned the audio because that was going to be my question. Um, I yes. love celebrity memoirs on audio in particular because I just like hearing – it's like sitting down with – if they're done really well, it's like sitting down with a friend and like chatting over coffee or something. So Exactly. 100% same. I almost exclusively read celebrity memoirs through audiobook. Cool. All right. So my last pick uh, is called It's What I Do, A Photographer's Life of Love and War by Lindsay Adario. Uh, and this is a memoir by a woman who is an international photographer. So it's about what that is like. Um, and so the book opens with this extremely shocking situation um, in March 2011 when Adario and four men she was traveling with um, another photographer and two journalists and their driver. Uh, and they were driving, covering some a situation in Libya. And as they were trying to cross the border, they were stopped by soldiers uh, who worked for Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi. Um, and their driver is killed and Adario and the other um, the photographer and the journalist are taken hostage. And so the book opens with this hostage situation she finds herself in and kind of asking a question like, what did I do to get here? And is this really worth it? Um, and then she backs up and does this pretty, I would say, pretty straightforward traditional memoir about her life um, and what it took to go from her childhood to school to becoming an internationally renowned photographer who travels around the globe taking pictures of these just stunning and terrifying and awesome world events. Um, so she had a time where she photographed the Taliban in Afghanistan. Um, she was a photographer on the ground during the U.S. invasion in Iraq. Um, she did a piece. Uh, I think she was commissioned to do a piece, but I can't remember for who, um, profiling rape victims in the Congo, um, starving children in Somalia, just all over the world traveling. Um, and so the book is about what it is like to be a photographer on the road like that, what it takes to um, what it takes to actually do that job because it's for a lot of photographers, they're freelance. And so they're kind of cobbling together different assignments and you don't really know where you're going to go and where you end up really just depends on who will pay you to go somewhere and where you're comfortable going. Um, so she talks about what that part of it is like. She talks about what it's like to actually become a staff photographer for a major organization and how that changes the dynamic of her work and the opportunities she gets. Um, she was at one point uh, a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, I wow. think. Um, so what it meant to have that and have kind of the opportunity to do what she wanted. Um but the part that really I remember stuck with me that like resonated at the time I read it was um, midway through the book, she meets a man and they start a relationship and they're talking about getting married and having children. Um, and she talks a lot about how that – what that decision means for someone in a job like hers and which is incredibly dangerous at times where she'll be traveling a lot, where she may not be able to bring her family with her or if she does, they're in a situation where they could be in danger um, just based on the parts of the globe that they are – 
spending time in. Um, and so what, and then also like what as a woman when she was pregnant, if her worries about whether her editors would send her to like the best assignments and the ones she wanted or whether they would try to hold her back, um, uh, to, like out of their protection instinct for her, but, um, you know, her making those choices and stuff for herself. Um, and I, so I just, it was really resonant and interesting to me and, um, kind of big questions. I think a lot of women have about their families and their careers put in a very stark, very obvious situation or a very, um, almost black and white situation of like, you're going to a new dangerous place. Is this acceptable for your family or not? Um, that I thought was really interesting. Um, and then also this book, it is, it is beautiful. It is a, the hardcover. Um, I don't know what the paperback looks like, but I have a hardcover and it is gorgeous. It is really like beautiful, thick paper. It has these wonderful full color photographs throughout. Um, it's just a very nice, thing to read. Um, I remember that about it too. Um, so I just, I really love this one. Uh, it's called, it's what I do a photographer's life of love and war by Lindsay Adario. I am always awed by people who choose these careers, like to be out in war zones and Mm -hmm. to go into these really violent and nightmarish situations and tell everybody the story of what's happening in the world. Like that's amazing. I, I can't. Yeah, it's intense. I uh, I was a, a journalist for small town newspapers. So like I would have never done something like that. I just don't have it in me. But it's incredible to read people who do because what they're doing is really important. I know. Uh, it really matters. So. I was a journalist for like a hot second like in college <laughs> <laughs> for the college paper. And I was like writing about, oh, the, you know, our college's favorite fast food restaurant in the neighborhood (laughs) like (laughs) obviously nowhere near this so yeah incredible excellent well those are super interesting at people I don't know reading about jobs and work is something I love because there's just so much stuff out there that people do that you think man that's amazing yeah I'm so impressed um, so yeah, now we're going to switch gears, uh, just a little bit. I think this is kind of in the same vein, I would say to talk about, um, a type of nonfiction that you said that you read a lot of and that you're very interested in, um, which is personal essay collections. Yay. Um, so we're going to talk through some of our, I think, favorites, uh, that we both have. Um, and I'll, I'm going to let you go first again, since you're the guest on the podcast this week. Oh, well, thank you. How gracious of you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. I, it's funny because I used to lump personal essay collections into memoir and I didn't really, I wasn't even considering the differences, but now I'm like, okay, yes, I can absolutely see which ones are personal essay collections and which ones are actual memoir. Um, But there is Mm -hmm. some blending sometimes. But my first pick is We Are Never Meeting in Real Life by Samantha Irby. And this is one of the more recent uh, personal essay collections I read that is also memoir. Um, And I just, Samantha Irby is so funny. And I went into this book not knowing who she was at all. But she was a blogger. Um, I don't even know if I can say this word on this show, but she's a blogger of a well-known site. If you look her up, you'll see the name of it. (laughs) It's very fitting for her, the name of this blog. And she's a comedian and she's hilarious. And she's just one of those truth tellers. And I think ever since I read uh, Phoebe Robinson's You Can't Touch My Hair, I've kind of been looking for more books like that where they're talking about, you know, pop culture, and they're talking about life, and they're talking about other issues, but they're also talking about, you know, they're speaking their truths Mm -hmm. in a funny way. And these are all people who who were born around the same time as me, so I definitely relate to them. Um, And this is, I guess they call it a a serial comic essay, which I had, that is another subgenre of this genre so (laughs) yeah it's interesting um but she she goes into her childhood and she talks about life and adulting and what that looks like she also talks about being queer and her first queer experiences and dating being the daughter of older parents choosing not to have children these are all things i'm like yes tell me Mm -hmm. more (laughs) and Yeah, I didn't know anything about her. And now she's one of my favorite people, definitely. Definitely one of my favorite writers. And I see her around every time I see her 
online. And now I, for some reason, see her everywhere. I'm always like cheering silently to myself. <laughs> I'm like a weirdo. Uh, but <laughs> it was definitely her experiences in adulting. She is one of those people like, she is an adult. She's a grown woman, but there are certain things you learn late in life. And she talks about trying to be responsible but not doing such a great job at it. And I think it's great sometimes when we can acknowledge that we're not perfect at everything. Like I don't I don't really do well with a lot of like the super inspirational like raw raw books. I tend to be oddly inspired by people who are trying but also failing. <laughs> and she's a highly successful woman. And so it gives me hope. (laughs) I think it should all give us hope. Um, And she's just really relatable. She, She doesn't flinch from certain things like body talk. She doesn't, she talks about details about her body and her life. And like this first encounter she has, like her sexuality and this sort of first date or first time situation she talks about is, she goes into such detail. I just thought it was fabulous. Like, I'd never really read somebody writing like that. And I am no prude, by the way. But <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, wow, she's really going there. That's awesome. Um, but she also talks about, like, her feelings about her friends and her family. And one of the, the common thing, threads that I've seen in some of the books I've been reading very recently are, are relationships with fathers. And I was just mm-hmm. talking about this with Gabourey City Bay. I, this didn't even occur to me until just the second. Um, but Samantha Irby also talks about that and some of the struggles she's had with her family. Um, and I thought that those parts were beautiful. So there's humor here, but there's also a lot of beauty. There's uh, a lot of feelings. She's very heartfelt. And I just loved every bit of this book. This is one I did not read on in audiobook format. That's funny. I did not realize that. Um, but I have heard that it is very good in audiobook. So if you want to pick that up, that was We Are Never Meeting in Real Life by Samantha Irby. That's an excellent pick. I feel like in the book I back channels, a lot of people read that one and really loved it. Yes. Um, thought it was super funny and great. So cool. I'm excellent. sure that's why I picked it up. Yeah. Um, so my first personal, I'm gonna go. I'm going with a funny one for the first uh, pick too, uh, and it's called A Field Guide to Awkward Silences by Alexander Petri. Alexandra Petri, excuse me. Um, and she is a uh, columnist for the Washington Post. She writes satire and humor for their humor blog, um, and she started writing there like right out of college. Um, so she is a very young writer for that organization. Um, and she uh, she also, uh, I think I came across her because during the election, she was writing some really great feminist satire mm-hmm. about just everything that was happening. Uh, and she's super funny. Uh, and she also runs the Emo Kylo Ren Twitter account, uh, which is... <laughs> Just one of my favorite things in the whole world. It's so weird, and I I just love it. Um, But anyway, this book is is a collection of essays that are basically just all about uh, situations in which things are super awkward. Um, So she writes about uh, doing a whistling competition. Um, The first essay is about uh, her trying to get on like a talent show or like one of those like reality TV shows, but not for being good, for being like one of those really bad people that gets on the shows. Um, (laughs) But like obviously that like doesn't work at all because she kind of (laughs) realizes – she writes about realizing that like you can't – like people who are are trying to flop, that's not endearing. Like it's endearing when – you sort of flop and, and get, when you give it your best yeah. um, and, and like genuinely try and sort of flop anyway. Um, but that like being afraid to fail is often something that none of us are willing to do. Um, so it's a, it was a really funny essay. Like I was sitting reading it at lunch last week and I just like I was laughing and snorting out loud because it was so <laughs> funny. And then I got to the end and I was like, oh, this is actually very touching. And you're right. Like we shouldn't be afraid to fail. Like we should all give it our best shot. Um so yeah, she's just really funny. Um, 
And so all of the essays are kind of in that vein of like things that she has tried or things that she has wanted to do or conversations she's wanted to have that are just super awkward. Um, and so I just, uh, it's very, it's very funny. I've been, it's a good one to pick up when you need something kind of like cheery to just like make you feel like, you know what, the world isn't a dark and terrible place. Like we can still have fun and still do silly things together. Um, yeah. So the book is called A Field Guide to Awkward Silences by Alexandra Petri. The secondary theme of this show is failure, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is great. Uh, <laughs> work and failing. Yeah. Yes, work and failing. They do sometimes go hand in hand, uh, as so my close. previous yeah. careers have sometimes shown me. <laughs> um, but my second pick is actually not there is there is not failure here. Well, there's some failure, some outside failures, failures of men to women. Um, and it's Eloquent Rage, A Black Feminist Discovers Her Superpower. This is by Brittany Cooper. And I I actually read this for the most recent Persist. That's um, our, our feminist book club that we run on Instagram Live. And I was actually very nervous about talking about this book because I was like, oh, wow, it's going to be how am I going to talk about this like in front of a bunch of people, even mm -hmm. though they're just online. But it was it was definitely challenging because the book is really open and raw and honest about what it means to be black and a feminist. And Brittany Cooper has really come into her own uh, in terms of being a black feminist. And she talks about the road there and how she formed her ideas about feminism and how she made them apply to her life and particularly to supporting black women specifically uh, because you know there are times in feminist uh, feminism where intersectionality is forgotten about and so Brittany Cooper really wanted to put it out there and support black feminism and talk about this idea of black rage uh, because a lot of women a lot of black women are pegged with being angry, you know, the angry black woman stereotype. And she mm -hmm. really goes into that and what that looks like and how damaging it is. And she talks about, she expands from there about like how the world in general views black women from their body types to, you know, being on welfare and what certain policies have done to black women's image, what the eighties did to black women and how it was kind of like a peak for black women at that time. And then how suddenly that all collapsed. And also she talks really honestly about things within the black community, like black men's responsibility to black women, which I don't, I, I haven't read as much about that until I got to this book. Like when I read about that in this book, like about, black men's responsibility to black women and to, to support them the way black women support black men. I was like, wow, I've never seen somebody actually write that out and say it out mm -hmm. loud. And she definitely goes there. She's like fearless in writing this book. And I thought it was just so incredible. She's so eloquent as the book says, she's so eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and she's really open and raw and honest about things. Um, and she really has come to terms with her own sense of feminism. I feel like, you know, of course, a book like this is going to rub certain people the wrong way. But I think that it's very necessary and very important, especially um, if a person considers themselves a feminist, to think about marginalized people within feminism. And she talks about trans people as well and the queer community, which often gets forgotten as well. And she also talks about her family and how feminism has been important to her and how her mom and her grandmother kind of showed her into her own sense of feminism. Her grandmother, by the way, is hilarious in this book. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh my God. Like you could tell... You know, there were times in Brittany Cooper's life where she was, like, so embarrassed by the things her grandma said, but she just didn't care. And I just love that grandma so much. I want to sit down and have a real-life chat with her. Um, 
But she also talks about like violence against women. So again, this isn't an easy book to read. It was definitely not an easy book to talk about, but I'm glad I got the opportunity to. And I'm glad I got the opportunity to read this book because it was very eye-opening and um, just very inspirational. So again, that was Eloquent Rage, A Black Feminist Discovers Her Superpower by Brittany Cooper. Excellent. That's early. That's a good one. Uh, Jen has talked about that one a few different times, and I have it. I bought it on my shelf because I was so excited about it, and I haven't gotten to read it yet, but yeah. It's good. good. (laughs) Um, So my second pick for like kind of funny lady personal essays uh, is One Day We'll All Be Dead and None of This Will Matter by Sachi Cool, um, which is a 2017 essay collection um, that I was lucky enough I got to write about it for um, one of Book Riot's best books of 2017 um, because it's great and I'm so glad I got to write about it then and talk about it now. Um, and so this is a, she writes about growing up the daughter of Indian immigrants in Western culture. Um, she looks at sexism and stereotypes and the universal miseries of life, uh, which is a funny phrase to me. <laughs> I really like that. Um, and so she writes a lot about her family and her parents and um, kind of the like frustrating and complicated relationship she could sometimes have with them as they were um, immigrants. And she is growing up in, I think, Canada. I'm drawing a total blank right now. But growing up in as part of Western culture and trying to wanting to have that, but also having immigrant parents who have different ideas and expectations about her. Um, she the essays are like kind of in between. She'll include these email exchanges between her and her dad, which are just they seem random at first, but they're very funny and they're these like very cute and great punctuation marks to the different essays. But they the reason they're there is because when you get to the very last essay, which is the best one of the whole book, um, she's writing about what happens when she told her parents that she was in a long-term relationship with a white man, um, which she had kept a secret from them for a really long time. And she finally got up the courage to tell them and writes about what the consequences of what that consequences of that decision were. Um, and so having those email exchanges with her dad kind of punctuating these previous essays really just like gives that essay so much oomph and heft and like you just feel so much how hard that was and why it was hard and why her parents responded the way they did and and everything like that so it's just a very like funny and great essay collection that like has these very very sharp punch moments of just like wow that is excellent um so I, I love the balance she strikes between being really funny and being very serious and thoughtful and um, sharing these like very difficult personal stories. Um, I just thought it was just a really great collection. So definitely one to pick up. Um, one Day Will All Be Dead and None of This Will Matter by Sachi Cool. So basically we're all going to run out and buy the book just to find out what happens in the end now because I, I am dying with curiosity to read that last email. But I don't want any spoilers though. So. Okay. I want, it's so good. It's, it's a great essay to like the, the book, the collection is really good. And then you get to the last essay and it's just like, wow. Like it, it almost, it's like she took it up another level and I don't know if it's just the story or what, but it's so great. Um, I just loved it. So yeah. Okay. Everyone right. go buy that one right now. It's so good. Um, cool. Well, so now we're going to end the show as we usually do with just a quick little update on the books that we are reading uh, right now. Uh, and so I am reading right now um, because we always have to have a true crime book in the For Real podcast. Uh, that is just like a random thing that has happened to Alice and I at every turn. We always have like one creepy, awful true crime book in the middle of it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I don't know we have all, we've both got a little niche. But anyway, mine is historical true crime. It's called The Infamous Harry Hayward by Sean Francis Peters. Uh, and this is a book that just came out from the University of Minnesota Press. And it's about a young woman who was found murdered in on the road in near Lake Calhoun, uh, which is in uh, South Minneapolis, uh, in 1894. Um, and she was a dressmaker and... Um, was just found murdered and it's about trying to figure out uh, what happened to her. Uh, and it turns out that um, a man named Harry Hayward, who was a serial seducer and schemer, um, had uh, hired someone to murder her because of a kind of salacious or scandalous relationship that the two of them had. Um, and he's just a very like criminal mastermind, creepy kind of guy. Uh, and he, uh, yeah, so the book is about trying to figure out what actually you know, investigating her death and then his trial and all of the kind of 
things that happened along with that. Um, and the subtitle is uh, A True Account of Murder and Mesmerism in Gilded Age Minneapolis, uh, which is a really good subtitle, I think. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm maybe like a third of the way through this one and it's it's real good. I love historical true crime. Like that's my, my not scary secret. Uh, <laughs> love. So the book is uh, The Infamous Harry Hayward by Sean Francis Peters. I need to read more true crime. I I haven't the last true crime book I read I think was Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, it was really good. That was for the Read Harder uh, challenge, ironically. So, um, my pick is Priest Daddy by Patricia Lockwood. I I think I'm halfway through this book by now, and I had to read it because everybody was talking about how funny it was. And by now, you probably know I gravitate toward like funny memoir and. Patricia Lockwood, it like my expectations were met, and I'm reading the audiobook. She's such a great narrator. Everybody said, you know, you have to read the audiobook for this one. And her voice is so excellent <laughs> because there are some real characters in her life. Like the book, the priest daddy reference is her her father, who's a Catholic priest. But he is not what you imagine when you think about Catholic priests. Like, he spends a lot of this book sitting around in too transparent underwear and being completely <laughs> inappropriate <laughs> and wailing on his guitar. Uh, <laughs> it is just like the dialogue is weird, explosive, and irreverent I think like the way these people talk and the way Patricia Lockwood remembers this time in her life and this is her grown life um she remembers her childhood and adolescence as well but mostly she's talking about her her life as a grown-up and like being around her parents and then having to go back to them when you know she had a life crisis and she was broke and she and her husband went back to be with her parents and I was just like okay I thought my parents were embarrassing I was wrong <laughs> I take she gets the award for sure so I definitely recommend this book even though I'm halfway through it's it, it meets expectations and again that was Priest Daddy by Patricia Lockwood excellent yeah my the everything I've heard is that the audio of that is really good so. yes it's on my list. Awesome. Well, and that brings us to the end of this week's episode. So uh, you can find us on social media. Uh, I am on Twitter as at Kim the Dork. And what's your Twitter handle? Twitter handle. I am actually not on Twitter, but oh, I am on right. Instagram. I'm at S Zina Williams. I've quit the Twitter. I am there, but I do not actually exist there. <laughs> that's, that's smart. But Twitter's you kind could, of awful sometimes. Yeah, you can definitely find me on Instagram at S Zina Williams. Uh, and if you are so inclined, please feel free to go to iTunes and write and review this episode. Uh, it helps people find us more easily. Uh, and when you go there, you can also subscribe so that you get new episodes the very minute they come out. And uh, with that, I'm Kimmy Gra, and we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.